Hello and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Just great, Justin. How about yourself? Kirby, uh, greetings from uh, near the Arctic Circle in Iceland. I'm up here scouting uh, extreme e-sites looking for pristine and fragile environments that they can run their electric car through and destroy so they can bring attention to those environments. Well, keep your eye out for some uh, young, promising open-wheel talent as well while you're there. I will. There does seem to be a bit of a hot rod culture here, actually. Well, that's refreshing. <laughs> it is. Curb, um, I guess this is, uh, when, when's Texas uh, this coming week? A week from today. Recording on Sunday here. Recording, recording on Sunday. On the Sabbath, Curb. <clears throat> I don't think this is overstresses. We can still count this as a day of rest, I think, even despite this podcast. Despite the rigors of this podcast, you think right. we can? Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair amount going on in the world of uh, racing, I guess. Probably a better way to put it. Let's. Uh, do you have any particular place you want to start? Well, uh, you know, this being the IndyCar focused podcast, we should probably start with Formula One, shouldn't we? Thanks, Curb. Thanks for being so gracious with that. I mean, sure. I know it's where you want to go anyways. <laughs> well, I guess my question to you is, do you perceive as I have as of late that the worlds of Formula One and the worlds of IndyCar are becoming increasingly entangled? I think it's a bit, bit of a stretch to say they're entangled, but uh, a couple of people seem to have their eye wandering off the IndyCar uh, target, that's for sure. Well, not only that, and I... You got to think like Zach Brown and McLaren has really kind of made a lot of this uh, intertwining, if you will, happen. The, the announcement in the last couple of days that Hurt has uh, signed a uh, yeah. test driving deal, which is, you know, obviously pretty interesting um, on, on several fronts. Um, but it just seems like McLaren's involvement in IndyCar has kind of brought the two worlds much closer together. And, you know, now you got people kind of coming from their feeder series over here. And now we're talking about some of our best going over there. And all of a sudden, you know, we haven't heard talk like this for years. And all of a sudden it's all happening. It's mostly Zach Brown, probably more so than McLaren, wouldn't you think? Yes. I mean, but I think, you know, Zach Brown has kind of led the charge at McLaren. He seems to have a point he would like to make to F1, which is there are some decent drivers over here in this country. You know, I, I think if he wants to stay in his job, he better make sure he, he uh, has some success at McLaren first. But um, uh, so I hope he doesn't take his eye off the ball too much there. Um, the, this Colton Herta thing, I find it a bit curious because I guess he's testing non-current cars, right? He's he's, yes. not, he's not he's not doing the last, free, well, free, last year's free practice one or whatever. Well, yeah, it's, it's any year's. it's any car that's older. And That's true. He's, he's going to test last year's car. Right. So. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I haven't read a lot about it, but you know, I could only, I could only, <laughs> I could only speculate. Pontificating on a podcast, then <laughs> that Perfect that makes question. you imminently qualified to pontificate on a podcast. But, I mean, what, what would the purpose be other than comparing him to Ward on the track? But the nail, I, I, to me, that's what's really interesting about this is, as we've both seen, you know, Ward's been kind of talking almost more about Formula One than he's been talking about IndyCar as of late. Right. And 
again, I don't want to draw too many conclusions from one, one race, but uh, you know, the team wasn't impressive and award was, was impressive at times. But again, I mean, I think the knock on him is, you know, he can't seem to keep his tires under him. He can, he can do a fast lap, but he can't keep his tires under him. Well, that's, that's a major skill in formula one, right? That's preserving tires is kind of half the, half the battle there. And so I'm wondering if uh, this is also a, a subtle way or maybe not so subtle way of putting some pressure on uh Pato, like, you know, you got to improve your craft a bit here. If you think you're going to get over, over there. Unless his contract's going the, the opposite direction and Andretti's paying for it. Uh, so her to contest and get some points and all that kind of thing, then, yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense to me from a clearance point of view. I agree. You know, it's pretty clear to see, and, you know, Andretti gets uh, heard of some more super license points. And I would be extremely surprised if uh, Andretti gets rejected by uh, Formula One in their attempt to start a team. But in the off chance that wouldn't happen, you know, Zach Brown's giving himself options, right? I wouldn't necessarily be extremely surprised if they did get rejected. I mean, it seems like the main thrust of the objections to Andretti coming in is that the ply gets split yet another piece, right? Well, that's partly why you pay $200 million to get in, right? That's part of it. And, you know, I think Michael Andretti's busy making the argument that his team being in Formula One will bring, will make the pie bigger and therefore easily pay for the slice he's taking. He'll help them expand in, in America, North America, right? He's probably r- right on with that, in my opinion. I, I think he's... It's certainly a plausible argument, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Haas has done nothing for that, by the way. And Haas for, is... Uh, Haas has gone out of their way not to be an American team. Yeah, it's... yeah, And, they, and, they and just, I, I think his stated purpose is to market his company in, in Europe, so... Well, I guess, I, I guess yeah, why would he? We've talked about that. I don't believe that either, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but but whatever, that's what's out there anyway. For whatever reason, Gene Haas just – there's nothing American about that team, right. you know, other other than possibly Gene Haas. Uh, you know, I think he missed out on a huge opportunity there, uh, what is now a huge opportunity to kind of be the American team. I mean, nobody looks at it that way. Now, you know, he's got a chance to reset here, <laughs> which uh, that he's been forced to do. Well, I don't think he's taken advantage of it, if, that's, if you think that's No, he, doesn't, he hasn't come out and, to me. I mean, like, I would be coming out and saying, yeah, we're going to rebrand. We're the American team, you know, and all that. And he doesn't seem to be doing that either. Well, I mean, Magnuson's a multi-year deal, right? Not just – they didn't just sign him for this year. I think I read it was a multi-year deal. So yeah, it's a great point. It's not, it's not, it's not like he's saying, um, you're going to get us through this year, and then we'll go get Colton Hurd and bring him in here and rebrand ourselves, uh, Team America. No, you're right. He doesn't. I, 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 I don't know why he's blind to that, but, you know, he's got his own deal. And uh, between being sued, sued by uh, Russian oligarchs and uh, you know, everything else, he's probably got his hands full. That's probably true. Can I ask you another Formula One question? Yes. Is it um, Hamilton, Mercedes, um, they have a radically different car than everybody else? Is that right? Yeah, it's. Um, it looks like a... Um, Who's that famous architect? Gary? Gary? Yeah. Uh, the side of it looks a bit like a Gary, uh, uh, you know, museum. It's all kind of crumpled. So it's essentially not the traditional side pods, right? Correct. It's a total reinterpretation of side pods. I mean, it's a narrower body. Is that right? Correct. It's like they almost like shrink wrapped around the car. Just I saw a headline where Christian Horner is uh, defending the legality of the car 
which makes me think he must not think much of it <laughs> as far as his chances to be to be competitive. Well, there's all these things, right? I mean, they they do all this preseason testing, and and I used to kind of follow that a little bit and like try to make you know conclusions on what was going to happen the rest of the year. That and I, I found quickly that that's a complete folly to do so, right? Because right. they're all holding back and they're not doing things, they're not showing what they got, and you know some are really legitimately struggling and some are not at all and just appearing to be legitimately struggling. And so it's all big game. If Mercedes comes out and they got a really competitive car, I'm going to implore you to go back and see, you know, read Lewis's Hamilton's comments the last two weeks, which is like, oh, we're going to be terrible. I, you know, we're just really struggling right now. Uh, it, it, I find it distasteful, frankly. Well, Will, Will Buxton thinks he's sincere. He doesn't think he's bluffing this time. So. <laughs> well, there you go. Says Will Buxton has his finger on the pulse of a lot of things in racing these days. I'm sure it must be accurate. Uh, I, like, I don't know how Will Buxton would know. He interviewed him. He, he looked into his eyes. Oh. Saw his soul, just like GW and, and Putin. Don't hear. Well, there you go. There you go. All very clear now. It's all very clear. So, Mercedes can be terrible this year. Mark my words. Speaking of Will Buxton, did you catch the little kerfuffle about the aero screens that he started? I was going to talk a little bit about this, but um, and I guess we can uh, go switch over to that. Are you talking about potentially not having an aero screen on the Indy car? Apparently, Will Buxton went to the St. Pete Grand Prix and talked to some drivers, and he he tweeted out that uh, of the drivers he spoke to, the overwhelming majority were uh, did not like the aero screen and like to rather not have it. I think it wasn't, clear, it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite not clear, have but, it, but have a halo in its it place. Wasn't quite, it wasn't quite clear that they preferred a halo to a, a, a well, airstream. it was pretty clear to me, but okay. okay. You know, a bunch of drivers, I think, replied and said, well, you didn't talk to me, Will, and I'm I'm all for it, and um, and so on and so forth. You know, kind of going back to our theme on the aero screen, which is not that we have anything against it, I think, if I'm speaking for you, but, um, but the hype and the uh, nobody's allowed to speak <laughs> ill of it kind of sense around the league around the series um kind of reared its head again i think around this this tweet that uh, will buxton sent out well i also think it's in the broader context of you know with the delay of the engines and now possibly the chassis or what looks like it's going to be you know a new chassis uh, you know maybe the chassis moving up actually the the newer chassis moving up um mm-hmm. but clearly like with they've run into a weight problem now with these cars and it's, they've just, they've, they've tipped the scale now and they can't, they can't go any further. And I think that's, that's all in this too, is, you know, going for a a halo, which will be, you know, far less weight than the aero screen um, to kind of get shed some of the weight that they keep tacking onto this car. And I think it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. They've been a lot of griping about weight over the winter when you add on the hybrid, um, the curve yeah. system, I guess. Yeah. yeah, the curve system, yeah. So, you know, and, and I noticed that on the road to Indy, they're not putting aero screens on those cars. They're putting halos on them. Part of me wondered if this was all a campaign to say, hey, maybe we need to end up back at the halo for, for weight distribution purposes and that kind of thing. This whole, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you should watch the Tour de France and steroids, right? Somebody talks about it and Lance Armstrong rides up to the front of the pack and 
drives them over into the ditch or something. You know, it's like it's like nobody's allowed to talk about this. We're all for the arrow screen, right? Yes, sir. We're all for the arrow screen. It saved 50 lives already in three years. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit IRL esque, isn't it, Curb? Yeah, I mean, it just again, I'm, I don't have a problem with the arrow screen, but uh, the way it's been promoted and and um, you know criticism is not allowed uh, kind of atmosphere is uh, just kind of distasteful. And unhealthy, I, fr- I think, frankly. I mean, yeah. you need to have frank discussions about these things. Here's 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 the reality. The reality is the heavier these cars weigh, it's just physics. And so when they hit a wall, the heavier they are, the, the, the greater uh, degree of impact that's going to be. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of the drivers are, were kind of. Uh, pooping their pants over a little bit was with the the with the new engine and the curves and all that weight and the aero screen like that thing was going to be really heavy and so when it clouded a wall it was going to be brutal and i think a lot of them were very concerned about that and yeah you've got the uh the fact there there's no power steering in the cars and um i think there's a bit of a, a source of pride there for the series that there's no power steering but uh again the added weight Going into these corners on these uh, road courses and street courses, and uh, and then add the fact that they're burning up inside this cockpit now with the air screen, <laughs> and it's a pretty tough physical uh, ask for them, and getting tougher the more weight they add to the car. Yeah, so, for sure. You know, I think listen to uh, Rossi and Hinchcliffe the other day. They seem to support the air screen, but the bottom line is they need a new chassis that incorporates the air screen and doesn't just have it tacked on top, where they can solve a lot of these problems. What's wrong with just going to the halo? Do you have a, I mean, I mean, do you think it's just you got to do the aero screen because it differentiates yourself from Formula One? Or do you think, you know, there's a problem with the halo? Well, I think that um, at this point, the halo would be looked at as a step back. I'm not saying I think that way, but I think, you know, now people are going to claim that and possibly true that debris can still get through and, and pelt the driver. Um and then the other people are going to claim that supposedly the halo is a little bit lower, the frame of the halo is a little bit lower, and, and makes it more difficult to look ahead on a high-speed oval in the turns. You know, if you raise the halo up high enough to alleviate that problem, then you just have a big gap again where things can fly through and, and hit the driver. And I think that's probably the gist of the argument. Oh, I can't believe we're talking aero screens and halo, but here we are. <laughs> well, thanks, Will Buxton. Thanks, Will Buxton. Curb, yeah. um, we did touch on it, but um, good idea to delay the engines, um, you know, in your opinion. Uh, it sounds like it. We all we all have experienced uh, supply chain problems and know how that can be. And IndyCar, even when they don't have supply chain problems, seems to barely get the parts in time when they have new new engines or new cars or new body kits. So probably best not to, to push their luck on that heading into next year. If there really is a third manufacturer out there, then this would be ideal for them as well. Yeah, I think you, you add the weight issue, the fact that they probably, you know, we're going to be pressed for time through the supply chain and the the timing with a third manufacturer and possibly now the timing of putting the, the new chassis under it as well. Um, it just seems like no, it was nobody's brilliance to make the delay. It was just like very obvious that that's what had to happen and you know interesting to see uh on like four different team owners that were all in favor of accelerating the chassis and, and bringing it online at the same time as the engine so um 
the team owners or the series can't claim poverty on behalf of the team owners as a reason to delay. Well, I mean, they've had those cars, what, 12 years now? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're eligible for vintage car racing apparently. According yeah, how can how can, so. how can the owners claim it? You know, poor mouth it at this point. Come on, that's ridiculous. The theory had been bring on a new engine one year, wait a year or two, bring on a new ch- chassis, kind of smooth out the the spikes in spending. But even the team owners are calling BS on that now and saying let's just do it and bite the bullet and do it while the economy's good. I mean, yeah, that's, exactly. That's the other part of this. We're we're on, we're on a bit of a rise. We got sponsors. Let's do it now. We got the money. So. Yeah, exactly. Curb, um, I'm going to call upon you. You're a real estate in the Indianapolis real estate expert. So I'm going to I'm going to call upon your uh, skills in that category. What does the purchase of the property near IMS mean by Penske mm-hmm. Corporation? Uh, I'm going to assume it means that um, he's got a clear. You know, a white sheet of paper to develop one now, not have to worry about developing around some sort of ancient structure, selling uh, uh, IRL gear or something. You know, so um, you know, Penske talked about not only refurbishing the track, but trying to develop around the track and make it a an economic uh, engine for that area. So you know, those IndyCar offices are in a you know, you you drive by that place and never stop a hundred times if you. You know, they're, they're in that old shopping center there south of the track, and um, supposedly it's very nice on the inside, but it's really not much to look at outside, and there's a lot of empty parking spaces. Roger Penske has his eye on redeveloping around the track. I would imagine south side of 16th Street would be the place to start. This particular memorabilia shop or whatever it was uh, you know, held a prime location there on 16th Street, right on the frontage, and um, I'm sure Penske wasn't going to build around it. There's a lot of land there, and I, I know, obviously... If you develop on it, you'll take away a lot of parking for two or three days a year, but probably worth it in the long haul for the track and, and the speedway, city of speedway overall. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I've heard talk of, of you know. Kurt, where is that in relation to like turn two? <laughs> well, it's pretty much straight south of turn two. Um, is it? Okay. You know, think of, think of the think of the tunnel under 16th Street um, and over to turn two is pretty much that, that kind of quadrant of the track. I, I um as long as they don't as long as they don't uh you know ruin our tailgate spot curb I I'm okay. No, we're, I think we're safe for the time being. Um south of the railroad tracks there on the other side of the tracks but um you know like NASCAR I think and Charlotte's got a big uh, uh, Hall of Fame and and kind of resort hotel and kind of stuff developed down there and I've heard talk that uh, even the city of Indianapolis would like to see something like that up by the speedway to get more raise more tourism dollars and have more for convention years to do when they're here and that kind of thing. Maybe they could even move, move the museum out of the speedway and over to South side of 16th street and open up the inside of the track for more productive uses. Kirby last podcast, I accused you of beginning a crack smoking habit. Um, <laughs> when you uh, chose David Malukas to be rookie of the year. And now I'm pretty sure that you've shared this habit with a, a mutual friend of ours, Mr. Jack Benyon. <laughs> Who, yeah. who has written an article that claims the next four race winners are, brace yourself, Curb, Jimmy Johnson, Christian Lungard, Romain Grosjean, and Connor Daly. They're going to win the next four races or the next first-time winners? Next four race winners. So Jimmy Johnson is going to win at Texas on his first oval race in an IndyCar. That's right. But, so, yeah. I mean, that would be the... 
trifecta or quadfecta or whatever they call it of the of the of the decade if you called that one yeah my god it really is three weeks between each of the first four races there you go um okay so uh benny and i have been sharing a crack pipe is that what we're saying yeah apparently and uh you know i i assume he wrote that i don't know just kind of a cheap way to get attention i don't know it just seems crazy (laughs) to me that's quite a list uh, yes, strangely enough, I think uh, who would be the least likely of those four to win one of those races? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to say Connor. Dan- I'm going to say Connor exactly. Daly. That's what I was going to say too. <laughs> I'm going to say Connor sure. Daly, which is, I mean, you look at Jimmy Johnson, but you're like, yeah, maybe he could do Texas. Maybe you he's know the team. He's got the team in the car, right? So. Yeah, maybe. So yeah. 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 That's funny. That's funny. Curb, uh, let's talk about Texas. Uh, we got got to wrap it up here. I've got uh, things to do, places to go, people to see. <clears throat> yep. Before we get into the picks and uh, general commentary, I noticed in the preseason, or not preseason, but the testing that they did there, that Scotty M had uh, one comment which had my eyebrow firmly raised. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, he was talking about the new um, downforce parts, you know, bits and pieces that they've added on. Right. And somebody asked, you know, what I would think would be the obvious question for the Texas Motor Speedway at this point, which is, so how did it work up on the PJ1? Answer? Well, I wasn't brave enough to go up there, was he? <laughs> no one ventured up there. <laughs> So they had all that testing and no one went up. Yeah, it was he or somebody else, I think, said, uh, you know, maybe if we run up there and practice, we could bring it in. But nobody's got enough practice time to waste your time going up there probably, right? Well, nobody wants to risk putting their car on the wall. Like Will Power did in testing. I mean, Will Power, to his credit, has always advocated, you know, taking an extra session and just running a bunch of cars up there on purpose so that rubbers it in. Right. So far, to me, that's the only suggestion that's ever made sense for that place. That are excessive amounts of drowned horse. Yeah, but, uh, you know, again, you and I have had this argument before, too. I, I, it doesn't matter how much downforce, if there's 25% less, once you go onto that stuff, it's still 25% less. Right. I suspect we're going to have another horrible race. Well, we can only hope not, right? Fans of IndyCar. Yeah. I just, I, you know, whatever hope you might have had, I, I think when when I read that, I was like, ugh, there we go. Nobody's nobody's going to go up there, and it's going to be that same one-lane race. Well, maybe Kirkwood will do it. He seems pretty high in self-confidence. <laughs> All right. We'll see. We'll see. Curb, um, you ready for some picks and predictions for the, the aforementioned Texas race? Yep, whenever you are. Uh, uh, Genesis no longer a sponsor, correct? Um, it would be the Expel 375. Expel, which did was sponsored one of the races last year. Right. Is that a occasional Penske sponsor? I think it is. Yeah. It is. Um, I think Genesis uh, pretty much out completely of IndyCar yeah, at this point. They've apparently had enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good run. Good run. Okay. Um, I believe it's my pick first. I think so. And I'm going to take 
Drum roll, please. Scott Dixon. Sound sound pick there. Good good at that track, uh, obviously, and uh, did well in both races last year. No reason to think he won't be in amongst it next week. Well, I'm going to cover my bases and uh, take Palau. All right. Well, we are aligned. That was also my next choice. Yeah. Um, again, that, that team seems to have that kind of place dialed in a little bit. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that team. And, and Palau also had some good results there last year, too, if I recall. Well, he's on the pole, I think, the first race. And, you know, I think his performance at St. Pete kind of uh, lets you know that it, no one-shot wonder there. He had a mediocre starting position and turned it into second place. So uh seems like a pretty steady fellow. I'm reluctant to make this choice, Kerr, but I feel like I've been forced into it. Uh, Joseph Newgarden. Well, that's a guy that needs a good race after uh, 20th place performance in race one. So just like last year, he starts out in a hole and he started digging out of it in a hurry. He's historically pretty good there, so uh, a decent bet he can do so. Uh, I'm going to go with um, with Scotty M. I knew you you had to go for Scotty M. Curb. I knew you couldn't couldn't resist. He's, He's the new apple in your eye. I think he had one good race there. What came in second? One of those races. He did, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to call that a fluke, but I'm not so sure that I would take Scotty M over Will Power in that race. Well, Will Power had a good race to St. Pete. That means he's due for something calamity to happen to him. And uh, I'd rather be on your squad than that happens. Well, I am not going to take Will Power. Okay. I'm going to take again a bit of risk here. Pato Award. Wow. I think, I think you're going farther out on a limb than I did with uh, Scott Yen there. Although, he had, a, I guess he's a winner there last year, right? Yeah, and he, he had a couple of good races there last year. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's really just based on the strength of last year's performance that I'm making that pick. But um, it, it is a bit risky given uh, the St. Pete uh, deal. But, I mean, we're really talking apples and oranges from a track standpoint. So, yeah, sure. Um, I don't think you can draw too many conclusions about Texas from St. Pete. Uh, no, no. I just uh, St. Pete tells you that Scotty M is uh, somebody we're working with this year. And I think uh, Allow is cementing and building on his success last year. So no, no one hit wonder there probably. But other than that, you're right. No uh, comparison in tracks for sure. Going back to Dixon, he clearly has. I mean, he, you know. First of the three stoppers at St. Pete, so he clearly hasn't lost too much either over the year. No, no, really. That was a pretty impressive performance by Dixon, actually, at St. Pete when you look back on it and uh, and and see what he did compared to the other three stoppers. So I'm going to go with uh, awards uh, erstwhile competitor for that Formula One seat, Colt Nerda. A, a sensible pick at this point, Kerb. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Curb. Um, anything you want to blurt out here? I've got limited time. No, done enough blurting already in the show. All right, Curb. Um, I will bid you adieu from uh, my scouting mission here for a fragile ecosystem. All right. Well, in case we don't hear from you again, uh, what's our Twitter feed? Twitter is at Hero, H I R O, IndyCar. At Hero, H-I-R-O, IndyCar. 
And uh, sponsors. Uh, South Street Dyer, Boston, Massachusetts. Mention this podcast to the owner, Saul, and you will get a generous discount. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Uh, Looking forward to Texas. Hope we all uh, have a good race to enjoy. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Yeehaw. Bye-bye.